0: Want to offer up your opinions, thoughts, theories, or feelings about La Brea? Email the show at shout at yallheard.me. Yes, that's the email for our parent podcast, Y'all Heard, but I get the email, so don't worry. I'll catch your La Brea content. Welcome back to the La Brea Purveyor. I am your purveyor, Pete Phillips. This is a podcast that focuses on the NBC show La Brea, where we do some episode recaps, some theories about what's going on, a spotlight on a character, and we check out the media to see what people are talking about. Today, I might have a little bit of extra noise in the background, so I apologize, but I can't stop construction outside of my apartment. What I would do for the peace and quiet of 10,000 BC. Also, thank you for joining me. After a week off from the podcast, I was doing a little bit of traveling and I knew that I wouldn't be able to get a good episode out. So I thought I would just wait and bundle episodes two and three, which were leaps and bounds more exciting than the season premiere. So let's get into it. Episode recap. Episode two is called The Cave, and that's a good thing because we spend a lot of time in a cave. We start the episode outside of it, though where Levi and Eve are bonding in captivity. At this point, there is no one else around, so you may as well be together, right? Your kids won't see it, your friends won't judge you, and the exiles seem like pretty harsh people, so you could die at any moment. Live today like it could be your last. Go for it! In this episode, we get a lot of flashbacks from Eve about her history with Levi. I mention this up top because I couldn't be bothered by them. These people were friends, Gavin, her husband, was boozing all the time, so they hooked up a lot, and Levi hopped onto a plane to go to Germany because Eve couldn't commit to them having a public relationship. That's the whole story. The only element that we learn is that Eve's father cheated on her mother when she was a kid, and she resented her father for that. So now she sees herself doing the same thing, and I think feels pretty crappy about that. But we can wash that away now and focus on the good stuff. After Levi and Eve are brought back to the cave, they are told to dig until they find a certain type of rock. When they find that rock, they should put it in a bucket and they should tell the guards, who will then take it from them. Somebody call for an excavation expert? I'm not in the book, but I'm at your service. The The name is McCard! Inside of the cave, it's awfully dark, awfully dirty, and it's pretty rough. Gavin, Izzy, and Ella reach the La Brea clearing. Sam announces their arrival in a very honest but also very confusing way. Everyone! It's Eve's husband! Josh's dad! It's Isaiah! Isaiah, grown up! Gavin and Izzy find out that Eve is being held captive and that Josh is in 1988. So that's pretty hard to hear, right? Maybe this is why Gavin comes across as aggressive and defiant right from the start. Our most interesting and ridiculous story is happening in 1988, where Josh and Riley come upon the Hollywood Hole, you remember in the season premiere, a giant sinkhole opened at the Hollywood sign. Now they are standing at a safe distance from it with a bunch of onlookers. Josh suggests that he and Riley cross the safety lines and outrun police guards and jump into the hole so that they can land back in 10,000 BC. Are you stupid or something? Almost as stupid as this stupid door is. Thankfully, he's with Riley, who says that if they are going to jump into the hole, it would probably be better to do that at night rather than broad daylight. Josh agrees, but we, as the audience, recognize that they have a little bit of a creeper in the background who's eavesdropping, and I like his style in the world of this show. We need more people to come out as creepy from the start. Eve and Levi meet Virgil, a new friend from the caves who also fell into the La Brea sinkhole. See, we're finding more people. So thank God someone addresses the fact that more than 30 people fell through the La Brea sinkhole. Virgil tries to show the couple the ropes, which is basically do what they say or they'll kill you. Be quiet and dig. You got it. After meeting his grandpa, Gavin and Silas engage in a negotiation tango. And basically Gavin decides that they're going to go find the exiles. Ty and Sam are not okay with this. Silas is the bargaining chip with Parra's tribe. If they don't have him and they come back, it could be a big problem. Gavin promises that Silas won't escape and he'll bring him back. That's a pie crust promise, easily made, easily broken. What a cliche bad dad. To add to that archetype, he abandons Izzy with a bunch of strangers at the clearing and embarks on a hunt for the home of the exiles with Silas. In 1988, Riley takes Josh for hot dogs at her dad's favorite hot dog place. See, Sam, her dad, lives in Santa Monica in 1988. And I went down to the pier in Santa Monica and started doing portraits there for 10 cents apiece. So she recognizes some of the places when they would come to visit there. Remember that, but file it away, because Riley also sees the lurker and calls him out for following them. Josh acts tough, but Riley is tough enough on her own. The man introduces himself as Franklin Marsh, a professor of geology at Caltech. I'm not trying to sound insulting, but for all of our sake, let's just say, geology is a branch of natural science concerned with the earth and other astronomical objects, the features or rocks of which it is comprised, and the process by which they change over time. Modern geology significantly overlaps all other earth sciences, including hydrology. And so it is treated as one major aspect of integrated earth system science and planetary science. I say this because lots of times people just go, oh, geology is the study of rocks. So Marsh is a nerdy looking type, and I like his weird energy in the show. He goes on to explain that each new hole seems to be indicating when the next one will happen. And I think where. According to his calculations, the next one will create a typhoon that could kill everyone in Santa Monica, California. Remember what I told you to keep in mind? If Sam is in Santa Monica and a typhoon kills him, could that mean no Riley? We don't have enough time travel rules to understand the implications of what's happening. On their trip, Silas asks Gavin if he would cut his hands loose. Gavin still carries some mistrust for his grandfather, so he doesn't comply but he does step into one of those traps where your foot gets stuck in a rope and you end up hanging upside down from a tree. This type of trap is called a snare trap. Snares are anchored cable or wire nooses set to catch wild animals. Snares are some of the simplest traps and are very effective. They are cheap to produce and easy to set in large numbers. A snare traps an animal around the neck or the body. A snare consists of a noose made usually of wire or strong string. Because of this, snares are widely criticized by animal welfare groups for their cruelty. In the UK, users of snares accept that over 40% of the animals caught in some environments will be non-target animals. That is, not the animal that you're intending to catch. I also wondered about how long Gavin could hang there upside down. It turns out that deaths from hanging upside down, or what they call inverse suspension, are very rare, but they do happen. There are three ways that you could die. The first is asphyxiation, from having too much pressure from your internal organs on your lungs, because your lungs are normally at the top of all of your heavy organs, like your stomach and your liver and all that stuff. Second way to die would be blood pooling in your brain. See, legs and limbs are designed to not have this happen. They have veins and are part of the circulatory system. But your brain's not used to that much work. The last would be that your heart would receive more blood that it can handle, which would result in a loss of various functions in your body because your heart can't keep up and keep you going. So Gavin goes to cut himself loose. He's got one of those little knives that you see. You, you even see them in a department store sometimes. They kind of like fit in your hand and they're folded up. And then you just kind of, like, pull the blade out in order to have a knife. And then when you're done, you can fold it back in. Anyway, for all that explanation, Gavin just drops the knife. (laughs) And he's hanging upside down, so it's not like he can pick it up. So Silas takes it, opens the knife, and cuts himself free. And then he disappears. I'm watching, and I am so angry with Silas that he abandoned his grandson like this. And it's not long before a bear comes at Gavin... Who is defenseless? Waka, 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 waka! Why is Kermit always so happy? Because he eats whatever bugs him! Ah! But then Silas stabs a bear in the back of the neck with a utility knife that has at most a four inch blade, and the bear drops dead. If you're interacting with the podcast and you're saying, oh, come on, put a pin in it, I'm gonna get to it a little later. Ella meets up with Veronica. And Veronica is still very emotionally complex. Ella tells her that she came back to help her. And Veronica gets so defensive and rude about things. Like, somebody loves you, Veronica. Be nice about it. But Veronica can't stop brooding. Only last episode was Ella regretting jumping into the hole. And now she must be feeling even more regretful because of this reception that she's receiving from her quasi-sister. Also at the clearing... Izzy sniffs her mom's clothes, and then Sam happens upon her and gives her a little concoction that is intended to fix her broken prosthetic. Awesome. In the mine, even Levi, never content to endure a little pain and make a better plan than the first one they think of, try to get Virgil to recruit his 28 friends to help them ambush the guards and escape. Poor Virgil sacrifices his reputation to help these two out, but I don't expect it's going to be that easy. Do you? Marsh, our science man in 1988, he is like giddy over science. One thing that occurs to Riley is that these holes didn't occur in their original timeline, the one that she lived in. So how much is the timeline changing and how much could it change? Like if Sam dies from a typhoon. Marsh thinks that Riley and Josh must know something helpful and if they do, it'll get people to take his research seriously. But I feel like he is severely overestimating the influence of two college kids in 1988. Like, they don't even have Instagram yet. While traveling, Gavin presses Silas about his parents, but Silas won't budge. Hey, look, you gotta tell me something. My whole life, I never knew who I really was, where I came from. Can you imagine what that's like? You gotta at least tell me how they died. Your mother was the single most important person in my life. She told me to care for you protect you tell you only what you needed to know to survive until she could see you again you're saying she's alive my parents are alive and they're down here are they down here gavin please understand you can't go looking for them why not because it may mean your life that's why i told you they were dead to protect you protect me from what if my parents are down here i deserve the truth i'm gonna fill my canteen it almost sounds like gavin could meet his parents one day, if he hasn't already, but he doesn't have a ton of time to process this because Silas drugs him and leaves him for the exiles to find. They'll put him to work in the mines, but at least he'll see Eve again. As he comes to from being drugged, he also remembers that Silas tucked a map of the caves in his pocket so that he can use it to escape. So it's really getting hard to tell if Silas sucks or not, isn't it? Eve tries to reconcile with Levi at probably the worst time ever. Like, you're in a mine, and you'll get killed if you're not mining. Dead, damn you! They get in trouble for standing around, and Levi gets beat up. When he is returned to their couple's cell, Eve is happy, and they get very hot and heavy. But here's the real shocker. In the final moments, there's a rustling outside of the clearing, and it's Scott. He returns, and he says... You're never going to believe what happened. Episode 3 is called The Great Escape. And these titles kind of give away a lot, don't they? I don't know if they're intended to be foreshadowing or they're just kind of lazy. Anyway, hear me out. For network television, a show that could be considered for families, I am going to venture to say that even though their clothes are on, when Eve and Levi wake up next to each other, I think it's safe to assume that sex is implied. Depending on your fandom, you may disagree, but their behavior is very, very much like... Gavin is initiated into the mines at the start of this episode. He'll run into Eve later, but for now he just gets the same old spiel. Dig up the rock, tell the guards. Dig up the rock, tell the guards. Scott tells the clearing gang that he and Aldridge were walking and then they ran into a herd of woolly mammoths. And when he turned around, she was gone. But something seems really off about him. This isn't our Scott. Something is wrong with this Scott. He is a lying. And our Scott wouldn't do that. You're an imposter, young fellow. That's a pack of lies you're telling. Suddenly, of course, Para shows up with her fort folks but there's no Silas. So Parra stands firm. I'm sorry, but this doesn't change anything. We gave you food and supplies. We helped you. And you promised us Silas would be returned to stand for his actions. And he will the moment that they're back. I thought I could trust you. Of course you can trust me. If it looks like I've been compromised by the relationship we had. Had. Parra, you don't mean that. Joseph, take the food. All of it. Adam, wait. Please. As you can tell, Ty is just as surprised as we are to hear their relationship referred to in the past tense. Gavin gets sent to Tunnel 6 in the caves, while Virgil, Levi, and Eve are in Tunnel 3. When Eve goes outside to dump some of the precious rock that they found, Gavin sees her and she sees him. <laughs> They hug, and then Levi shows up, and he hugs Gavin too. Everyone is pretending it's all good, and Gavin is also somehow offering hope of a return home. But I don't know that he has a plan to return home, so this is unexpected. At the clearing, Ty is doing something new. He's blaming someone else for problems, namely Sam. If Sam didn't let Silas go, then they wouldn't have violated Parra's trust, But Sam, who is in the wrong, won't accept blame. Instead, he pulls one of those things that people do in manipulative relationships. Let's just forget about that and move forward. When Sam pitches that they start farming and hunting, many of the Clearing Clan admit that they just don't have the skills to do stuff like that. For instance, we find out that Judah is an accountant, not a college professor. But Lucas says it's easy. Let's just steal food from the fort folks. And get this. Scott? agrees enthusiastically. At this point, I'm wondering if Scott is like a Westworld robot replacement. But Sam offers up a vote. Do we steal the food and run the risk of starting a conflict with an armed tribe? Or do we find any other way to get food, like hunt, farm, etc.? The people side against stealing. And after some uncharacteristic encouragement from Scott, Lucas decides that the two of them should go steal the food. And Veronica can come, too. She feels indebted to Lucas for saving her life, so she is going to help him with whatever he might need. Gavin, Eve, and Levi try to plan an escape. Gavin recognizes the rock that they're digging as a fuel source. Wait, what? But he's not sure who would need fuel in 10,000 BC. I don't know, maybe it's the big steel and glass building that's in the middle of nowhere. When faced with two plans, one, following a map through the caves... Or, two, a rebellion. Eve chooses the rebellion, which is Levi's plan. But she also begins to notice a difference in Gavin. She says he's more like the old days. And I think that losing your family to a sinkhole and making it your business to rescue them can really give a lost guy a sense of purpose. Not to mention his visions have stopped because I guess he's figured all that stuff out. So Levi's plan begins. Virgil fakes a heart attack. And while the guards look at him... Why would they? It sounds like they just kill people for no reason. All hell breaks loose. All sorts of miners are armed with their digging equipment, and they start hitting guards and fighting. In the end, they all get out of the cave, but the door is closing fast. Levi is the second to last to get out, and Gavin barely escapes, but he moves with confidence and heroism. Eve has a problem. Her husband is looking like a tasty treat, but she just boned Levi. I stand by it, I stand by it. She'll have time to think it over because the exiles are coming over a hill and they are capturing all the miners all over again. Dang it. In yet another heroic act, Gavin takes responsibility for the escape. He says, punish me, not them. And that's very Jesus-y, which kind of goes with Gavin's beard. Levi kind of just stands there and lets Gavin take the punishment. This beatdown is out of sight. Lucas, Scott, and Veronica proceed with their great food heist. Veronica and Lucas are both like, what is going on with you, Scott? But he deflects. I am not enjoying this, Scott, at all. But his intention becomes clear when they get through the fort wall and he fakes an ankle injury. He tells them to go on without him while he scurries off to raid Silas's old hut looking for a key card that says Lazarus, which I presume goes to the building. And I get that this was his goal, but he put Lucas and Veronica in danger in order to achieve this goal. And I don't like that. I don't like that, Scott. While sneaking around, Lucas sees the man who killed Mary Beth, and he sees Red. He tells Veronica that he is going to kill the guy, and she tries to talk some sense into him, but his mind is pretty set on it. Veronica carries a lot of guilt for doing unexplained bad things. And she doesn't want Lucas to do the same. But this is not your monkey and not your circus, Veronica. You did the best you could. In captivity, Gavin tries to appeal to Tamit, the guard that we see the most often. Gavin says that in his tribe, he knew a Tamit, but he wasn't such a jerk. Surely this couldn't be the same guy. But it doesn't work. Tamit could care less, and he locks Gavin up. After some punishment, he gets dumped back to Eve and Levi. Levi goes to get some water for him, and Eve and Gavin get all sappy. Gavin says, But Levi returns just in time to cut that discussion short. When he returns, he says that the guards are going to another area and that they should make a run for it. Battered Gavin Eve and Levi follow the map, but at the end, they don't find freedom. They find Tammet. In a scuffle with the injured Gavin, Tammet loses somehow, and the three of them escape. During this time, Levi also just stood there and didn't do anything to help. Nice job just standing there. Lucas didn't end up killing the guy who killed his mom. The guy had a family, and that's all you need to get away with murder. So he and Veronica continue with the food theft, and everyone at the clearing is disappointed when Lucas returns with the food. Scott quickly steps away to go, quote, for a walk. Veronica quips that his ankle healed really fast. In the woods, Scott meets with Aldridge. And now I'm disappointed in him. She's cagey and mysterious, but offers no plot advancement. She is just manipulating Scott to do her bidding, and I don't like it. I had to lie to my friends, fake an injury, sneak into Silas's hut, and commit a 10,000 BC food heist to get this. You did well. Thanks. Though i got to admit, keeping secrets isn't exactly my forte. Well, I'm afraid you're going to have to keep this one a little while longer. No. I am trying to protect your friends, Scott. Several things need to be accomplished, one of which is getting your friends Josh and Riley back. You've known how to get them back the entire time, and you didn't tell me? Now tell me what you need to know, Scott. But but you know where there's no disappointment? Lucas and Veronica have a heart-to-heart moment. Oh my god! Okay, it's happening! Everybody stay calm! What's the Everybody procedure, everyone? Calm. What's the procedure? Stay <laughs> calm! Levi tells Gavin and Eve that he heard that the guards are taking the rock to the tower, which we figured out in no time. So that's probably their next destination after they get some rest at the clearing. Izzy and Eve reunite in the end, and Izzy is just so much taller than everyone else in her family. It really messes with my head and the character dynamics. You always think, like, the parents are taller than the kids, but maybe it's a recessive gene or something. (laughs) what just happened first things first we've been asking this from the start how does everybody speak english how have you still not addressed this this is still lingering i thought there would be like a coy and not entirely satisfying answer given but there has been no attempt to answer this question yet and even a bad answer would be an answer and get me past the question that's a very good question if you remember in that final clip Aldridge likes to tell people only what they need to know, as she told Scott. And if you remember in the Silas clip, Silas told Gavin that he promised his mother to tell him only what he needs to know. Are these things connected? Or are the writers just recycling mysterious cliches? My bet is it's the first option. Anybody want to call it super early that Aldridge is Gavin's mom? That's a very good question. Can you kill a bear with a five-inch blade? The answer is hell no. Do you think that the writers care, though? It's hard to say. But according to my research, some people have killed bears with knives. But they have a larger knife, and it doesn't go down right away. Like, you have to keep stabbing it aggressively. And none of this is pleasant for us to think about. So that part was totally unrealistic. But hey, so is a giant sinkhole, right? That's a very good question. So the rock is a fuel source that goes to the tower. I wonder, could them excavating this resource be causing the sinkholes in the future? The timeline is changing, so with these missing minerals, maybe the holes are just opening up in the ground. And if they're not, what steps forward are we missing out on without this precious rock fuel? Would we be less dependent on oil today if they had just left this mineral in the ground? That's a very good question. Is Virgil okay? These characters that sneak in and out drive me crazy. I want to make sure he's okay. Mostly because I think it's weird that Levi and Eve leveraged his influence for Levi's bad plan. And now poor Virgil probably seems pretty uncredible to his peers, right? So how is he holding up? That's a very good question. Will Riley and Josh meet young Sam? I hope not. It would be really weird, right? And also, could Josh go into the typhoon hole? when that opens? Like, please? That's a very good question. What is Aldrich promising Scott, and how long before he spills his guts to Lucas and Veronica? Scott seems to be betraying a lot of good faith, and that is unfortunate unless he comes clean soon. And if he does, will his friends forgive him? That's a very good question. Could Eve, Levi, and Gavin just become a thruple? I'm just saying, you could ask and see what happens. It would take a lot of stress off of Eve if she could just be with both of the guys, and it would eliminate a lot of the relationship drama that we may be tired of watching as an audience. That's a very good question. I'm also wondering, is Levi taking a passive stance in killing Gavin? Like, the way that he just stands around when things are happening to Gavin kind of reminds me of the trolley problem. You know, this classic moral dilemma? There is a runway trolley barreling down railway tracks. Ahead, on the tracks, there are five people tied up and unable to move. The trolley is headed straight for them. You are standing some distance off in the train yard next to a lever. If you pull this lever, the trolley will switch to a different track. However, you notice that there is one person on the side track. You have two and only two options. First, do nothing in which case the trolley will kill five people on the main track. Two, pull the lever, diverting the trolley onto the side track where it will only kill one person. While this isn't exactly the same thing, it reminds me of this dilemma because of the first option that you have. Do nothing. By doing nothing, you may feel absolved of guilt because you did not take action to cause harm to another person. But you may also feel like you should have tried to save the five people instead of the one person so that you're at a net positive. Levi has become so idle since Gavin has shown up, and Gavin has become so boss that if the thruple thing doesn't happen, Levi might find himself all alone again. And here's a crazy curveball theory. Levi is an anagram of evil. And while he doesn't come across very evil yet, there's still time for him to change. And his getting dumped could definitely be the thing that makes him turn evil. As someone who was recently dumped, my character name would probably be Speeders, because that is an anagram of depressed. <laughs> That's a very good question. Digging deeper. Well, guys, since he was so weird in episode three, let's dig deeper on Scott Ronnie. NBC has a pretty dismissive profile of him. Quote, Scott is an anxious pothead who happens to know a lot about 10,000 BC due to his interest in history and anthropology. His knowledge comes in handy throughout the show. He is particularly close with Riley and Josh, and that's it. That's a bummer. His interest in history and anthropology? Uh, he is a UCLA graduate student. The website Collider confirms that he, prior to the sinkhole, worked as a professional tour guide at the Tar Pits Museum. Additionally, Scott comes from an academic background, he can be very eccentric and anxiety-ridden, and sometimes he relies on Substances in order to alleviate his stress and anxiety. Rohan Mercandani has some acting credits under his belt, but it was kind of interesting to learn that he was on Big Brother in 2013. He was a shakeup edition in week two, which threw people off a little bit, but he was also booted from the show pretty quickly. Could there be some Scott in Mercandani? Maybe they could both share a resistance to drama, which led him to being an easy target to boot out of the house, like Scott was in Season 1. For all the betrayal he perpetrated in Episode 3, it's hard to hold that against him, because he's so bad at lying. But his willingness to lie to his friends to help a potential enemy in Aldridge with only the promise of knowledge does seem like a problem. It feels reminiscent of Adam and Eve eating from the Tree of Knowledge, right? Will Scott learning what he wants to know be a blessing or a curse? For now, it seems like he's just a piece on Aldridge's chessboard, which is unfortunate. Little heads up if you want to get Scott's vest from season one, you can get a replica at jackethub.com for $105 in sizes small to triple XL. In the Media Reviews. It's becoming a little difficult to cover in the media reviews because not many people seem to be talking about La Brea as news, probably because we're well into season two now. We're not in a situation where people can speculate about what might happen in season two because it's already happening here in season two. So even though the internet movie database betrayed us earlier, I thought, let's give a shot at Rotten Tomatoes. People seem to respect Rotten Tomatoes more, and so maybe we'll have more substantive reviews from users. So, here is one five-star review. Though it's early, I like how they assembled a multicultural cast without getting all woke on everything. I'm sure that the woke party will start, but I'm hoping it's far enough away, and I have already seen enough to decide if this is my keeper, watch, or my punt watch. As soon as it goes woke, I'm gone. For now, no wokeness. Got the Land of the Lost vibe and sort of a Philadelphia experiment thing working. Hope to keep watching. So, there's that. (laughs) Another five-star review. I love this show. Such a good story. And it gets better. I was waiting for season two, and it was worth the wait. Ten out of ten. User Ross C. gives the show three and a half stars out of five. I like the show, need to keep away from personal storylines, just stick to storyline. We need more good sci-fi, back to the 60s, 70s, 80s. Vicky H, though, is a little upset. She gives the show one star. And to think, they cancelled Debris for this failure. Episode 1 of Season 2 was a snore-fest, bad CGI and convoluted storyline jumping all over the place. Now, I'm not going to disagree with her, the season premiere kind of sucked especially compared to Episodes 2 and 3. And I also, Vicky, liked the show Debris. But until we work our way up to running a network television company, we kind of just have to deal with what they do. Brenda S. is also not a fan. Stopped watching. Seems recycled from the wacky Lost series. New weird twists that make no sense to the original plot line. Desperate. But at least she's not Jim D. who gave it a half star. This is so cheesy and chintzy that I actually could not even finish watching it. It creates dilemmas and then so cowardly and conveniently comes up with such weak resolutions that it offends your intelligence as a viewer. And I have to disagree. Granted, if you are coming to network television expecting to see Mad Men or Breaking Bad, you're not going to find it. You know why? Because those shows weren't on network television. They were on cable television. So find your smart shows there. For those of us who just want to have some fun, kick back and suspend our disbelief, La Brea rules. And that covers this week's La Brea Purvea. I hope you had fun listening. And if you would like to contribute anything in terms of your opinions, your reviews, your feelings, please do so at shout at y'allheard.me. That is the email address for our parent podcast. Don't worry, I'm the one who moderates it, so I will find your La Brea content. But if you are interested in hearing more of my voice and that of my friend Marissa Phillips, then you can join us on the Y'all Heard podcast, which is available at y'allheard.me. If you know anybody else who likes La Brea, please share this podcast with them, and please come back for more next week. <laughs>